And uh, let's pray and just um, ask the Lord to be with not just this class, but all of our Sunday school classes that are going on um, all over our campuses. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God, for your goodness and for your mercies. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to come and to share your word. We pray, Lord, that you're going to speak to our hearts today. Lead us and guide us in the right paths. We've come to give you glory and to lift up your name and to look into your word, O oh God, for direction and guidance in our lives. We'll give you all the thanks and all the praise and all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You can turn with me if you want to. I've got a lot of scriptures. That's why I let you be seated before we read our scripture. But James chapter 1, verse number 2 through 4. I'm going to be talking this morning about identifying the enemy and <clears throat> how many know that we're under attack from the enemy. Amen. If you don't know that, then you're, you're asleep, all right, because the enemy's on the attack. He's going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, amen. So we go to the Word to find out how we can combat the enemy and to know some of his schemes that he's devising in our lives. So James chapter 1 verse number 2 says, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Kind of a strange portion of scripture there, isn't it? You count it joy when you fall into temptations. Amen. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing or lacking nothing. Amen. Do you believe that you can get in a place in your walk with God that you are lacking nothing? We can. The Word of God says that. And the reason that we have these trials and tests, and we'll get into this a little bit more, is so that we can be perfect or mature. Amen. I'm not saying we ever get to a place where we don't need God. We always need Him, right? But we can and we should be striving for a place where we are lacking nothing. Amen? And we should be further down the road than we were uh, last year or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Amen? So he says that we can have this perfect work or mature work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing or have lack of anything. Divers just means the various in character, various different kinds or various makeups of these temptations that come our way, all right? So temptations come in some different aspects. One is the putting to proof, all right? The other is a solicitation of temptation. One's discipline. Um, temptations come from just our discipline and the adversary, of course. Adversity that comes into our life, amen, or another kind of temptations. There's four different attacks that I want to address, uh, just one of those today, but I'm going to cover the four different types of enemy attacks, all right? So temptations, those are the lustful temptations, the lust, the temptation to sin, all right? I'm going to call that the temptation to sin. Those we have to resist, all right? And I talked about this one, I think is back in September sometime. The other one that we go through is our trials. Trials come about in our life because of the choices that we've made, okay? We don't always make the right choices, 
And so it results in trials in our life. So we had to repent in that season of trials. Test is the third one, and that's where we're brought on just simply because that we walk with the Lord. There's tests and that come along just simply because we are Christians and we are walking with the Lord. And he tells us in these tests that we are to rejoice, amen, to be exceeding glad, amen. And the, the fourth one is trespasses. That's where we are trespassed against, all right? And in those types of temptations, those trespasses, we have to be able to release them, amen, when you are trespassed against, you have to be able to release that. So the temptations parts, the number one, which is the enticement. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. This is the enticement, these temptations. This is one of the attacks of the enemies, this enticement this to lust after it, to lust means a longing all right or a desire to have to lust after something and in this we resist Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil the cunning devices of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. Amen. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Amen. And so we need to realize that this type of solicitation is brought on by the enemy, he puts it out there, amen, and we have to put on that whole armor of God so that we're aware of it and we're able to combat against these cunning devices of the devil. He wants to bring you down through sin, amen? He wants to bring you down through sin. The other one, which was trials, and we're going to talk about this today, so I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. It's brought upon by our own choices, and we repent from that. The third one, which is test, it's brought on because simply we're walking with the Lord. I read this earlier, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you also, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So when you're in this fiery trial, we need to rejoice. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of, than of gold that perish, perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love, and whom thou, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So these tests that we go through just simply because we're living for God, he says we need to rejoice in those. Amen? A lot of times we get discouraged, right? And we're saying, I don't know what's happening, Lord. I'm trying to live for you, and I'm getting persecuted, and 
my family's getting on me and all of this other things, and we get down at the Lord, but he's saying rejoice in these things, hallelujah, because you are being partakers in his suffering. So these are the tests that we go through, and then, of course, the trespasses that are brought on by the offenses of others. In Luke 17, he told his disciples, he said, it is impossible, everybody say impossible, but that offenses will come. You are going to be offended. Amen. I'm glad he put that impossible in there because you are going to be offended. Oh, my goodness. And this is a study in itself, and we're not in this. We're not going to be touching on this one, I don't think, unless we get that far. But um, this is such an issue and a problem, and, it's, and uh, even so more evident sometimes in the church. That we have people that cannot forgive others or you've been offended and you wear a chip on your shoulder. It's a violation. It's an offense, a violation, a trap or a snare. We don't minimize it. It's, it's a violation when you've been offended or you've been trespassed, offended by somebody else. But Jesus is saying when that happens, you need to release it. Amen. Luke 17, verse 3, take heed to yourselves that thy brother trespass against thee. Rebuke him, tell him what his error is. And if he repent, forgive him. Amen. The problem is we don't go to him, do we? We go to somebody else and tell them what they did to us. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 14 through 15, reading from the English Standard Version. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How many want to be forgiven? I know I do. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. So those are the four temptations, tests, trials, and trespasses. Amen. And we have to battle against those things, some of the, the devices that the enemy uses. But today I want to focus on the trials that are brought on by our own choices. And the response that we have to have when we come into these trials in our lives is simply to repent. That's a powerful word that we hear all the time and that we don't really take it seriously, but there's so much power in repentance. Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 7 and 8. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. So here is a law, a spiritual law, if you will, a law in the Word of God that's just as real as the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. That's the law of gravity. Amen. God's saying you are going to reap what you sow. And he said, don't be deceived. Don't be blinded by this. Don't let it catch you off guard. Whatever you sow, he uses the, the wording for a sowing like a farmer sowing the seed. And he's saying, you know, you put that in there, it may take a little season for that crop to grow, right? 
It may be, oh, you may think you're doing okay and you're getting by with it, but pretty soon that springs up and you're going to reap what you sow. He's saying, don't be deceived. He said, I'm not mocked. He said, I know what's going on. Amen. We've got to constantly remind ourselves, you know, sometimes we think we're getting by with things and sometimes we think we're pulling the wool over people's eyes. Amen. But we never are pulling the wool over God's eyes. Amen. It's like we need to slap ourselves sometimes and wake ourselves up <laughs> and say, hey, you know, the God's the only one that we have to worry about here. He's the one that we have to um, answer to. So don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And he says, don't be weary in well-doing. So even in well-doing, you don't see it for a while. You may think, man, I'm trying to do my best here, but pretty soon, hallelujah. It's going to pop off. Amen. You're going to be rewarded for it. Amen. I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But this is the encounter of Nathan when he, the prophet Nathan, when he confronts David about his little fling with Bathsheba. Amen. And just to, in case you don't know the story or to refresh you on the story, the Bible said that when kings went out to war, David stayed home. Now, this is a good point here to make, that David was stayed home when everybody else was going to war on the battlefield. Amen? I mean, you know, we're on a war, in a warfare. The Bible says we are in a battle. Amen? We are in a war. There's no time to sit back and stay at home and just observe. Amen? And that's kind of what David was doing at this point of his time. And there's no place for idleness, folks. That's why uh, pastors so intent upon making sure that everybody has a place to serve. Because if you're not serving, then you're in dangerous territory. Amen. If you're not involved in the work of God, then you're on dangerous ground. Amen. Of slipping into things that spirit of idleness is a bad place to be in. So David's there, he's at home, and he's up on his rooftop, and one day he looks down and he sees Bathsheba, and she's down there bathing herself, and lust sends in, amen? So he's the king, he sends to her for her, he, he sleeps with her, he lays with her, and Bathsheba gets pregnant. She's a married woman, and her husband's out on the warfare, out on the battlefield, battling. So she sends word back to David, I'm pregnant. You got me pregnant. So the plan is devised then by David, and what he tries to do is he tries to bring Uriah home off the battlefield, encourages her to go home, spend some time with his wife. So he might think that he's the father when this child arrives. You don't understand where this is, right? We're all adults here this morning. Uriah's not going to do it. He said, I cannot go home and enjoy the pleasures of my wife when my buddies, my, my comrades, my, my brothers are out there dying on the battlefield. Let me go back to the battlefield. And David did all he could, tried to get him drunk and everything else. All the different things that David or, tried to um, Get Uriah to go home to be with his wife did not work, all right? 
And so the plan doesn't work, so David finally has to send Uriah back to the battlefield, but he does so with another plan. He tells the captain, he said, I want you to put Uriah on the front line. And then when the battle's heated up, have your men pull back, and Uriah will be killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed on the battlefield simply because it was devised by David. Amen. And this gives us a little look into the snowball effect of our choices. We think that that instant gratification doesn't really affect anything, right? It's not going to affect anything. But look at all the different avenues and aspects of life and other people's lives that this affected. I'm sure David never intended. I mean, Uriah was a faithful servant servant of David's. He was a faithful soldier. He was a warrior. Amen. A, a man that any man would be proud of to have in his army. And David, I'm sure, never intended to have to kill Uriah because of this. Amen. But it did happen. Affected a lot of different things. And I think you can see how that snowball effect, you know, first it was, well, let's bring, first she got pregnant, okay, oh, we didn't think that was going to happen, and so let's bring him home, and then he'll uh, go to his wife, and he'll think he's the father, and that didn't happen, so the snowball had to get bigger and bigger, and finally, Uriah ends up dead. I'll never forget the time Pastor was preaching, and he said, made this comment, he said, that's so important that before you just indulge in it, some instant gratification for you to try to look down the road at my, what else happened because of this. Had David looked down the road and seen, oh, I'm going to have to kill her husband, he may have never jumped at that opportunity for that instant gratification. So this brings us to the point here where Nathan now is confronting David. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. <laughs> Be not deceived. It looked pretty good, right? Uriah got killed on the battlefield. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Everything looks good now. The child's going to be his. Nobody's going to know any better. But God... Everybody say, but God, he knows all things. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and told him this little parable. <clears throat> he said, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Verse number four, it says, Now therefore came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest that had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. There came a traveler. There came that temptation. There came that choice that we all have to make. It comes into each and every one of our lives. It's going to pass by your way. 
Make no mistake. Don't be deceived. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. That's why you got to take on the whole armor of God. But the traveler comes and this man takes the poor man's lamb instead of taking out of his own flock. And after he told him this little story, Nathan had told David in verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are the man. You're the one that did it. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would add to you as much more. He said, I gave you all this. And if that wasn't enough, I'd given you more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So this is interesting point here. He's saying you've gone against the word of God. You knew it was wrong. Coveted another man's wife. That's against the Ten Commandments. You did the wrong thing. And he says you have killed him. And even though David wasn't the one that actually took the sword. And killed Uriah. God held him responsible. For the killing of that individual. We need to be very careful, very careful how we handle people, amen, and how we handle situations and how we may talk about somebody in the gossip realm, amen, and destroy them or kill them with our tongue, amen. And we may not think anything about it, but God's going to say, you've killed them. I didn't do anything. You're the one that killed him. David had no part in taking the actual sword and sticking it into Uriah. But God held him responsible because it was his plan that he had devised. We have to be very careful. We need to realize that we have to pay attention. Pay attention. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, least at any time we should let them slip. Amen. We need to hold on to the Word of God, folks. And I know that this isn't, this is 101, right? Christianity 101, the power of the Word of God. But it's so interesting that he says, you know, if we don't take earnest heed to these things, we could let them slip. You may have heard them. One time, you may have abided by it one time, but if you just shelf it, if you don't give earnest heed to it, the Bible says it could slip away. And that's a dreadful thing. We need to pay attention. The other thing that we need to do to combat this is to redeem the time. 
the hour. We need to realize what time it is. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We need to redeem the time and to realize, you know, that our time is short. Amen? We need to realize that our time that we have here is so limited, it's not worth it. Hallelujah. It is not worth it. Amen? To go against the word of God. We need to redeem that time because the days are evil. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary... The devil, as a roaring lion, walk about seeking whom he may devour. We need to take this seriously. We need to awaken ourselves, amen, to be sober and vigilant because that enemy of ours, he's going around like this roaring lion and he's seeking whom he may devour. You know anybody that used to be here, used to live for God, but they're not here anymore? They don't live for God anymore? I think we all know people like that, right? What happened to them? What happened along the way? Somewhere they got laxed in their serving for God. Somewhere they weren't vigilant and staying aware of the enemy. And finally, be doers of the word, James 1.22, and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. We need to realize that Jesus, he constantly was harping on this. He said, I need you to be doers of the word and not hearers only. You can hear the word, but you got to be a doer of the word. When you hear it, you've got to act upon it. When you hear it, you've got to obey it. It doesn't do us any good just to know the scripture. Amen? We have to obey the scripture and to be a doer of the word. Because if not, he says, you're like a person, you look at yourself in the mirror, and then you go away from the mirror and you forget what manner of man you are. Amen. Because this word is a reflection of who we are. And it will reveal unto us what needs to be done in our lives. Now back to Samuel and the account of David. In verse 10 he says, Now therefore the, so the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David, verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is David's repentance. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. 
The Lord has forgiven you. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So here David, he's going through this trial in his life now because of the choices that he made. His wife is Bathsheba. They have a child now, and the child is sick unto death. And David, the Bible said, he fasted and he refused to eat. And everybody was worried about David, you know, because of he, was, he had to go through this trial because of it was the choices that he made in his life. We know that the, finally the child did die. And afterwards, David arose from his fasting, washed his face, began to eat again, and got his life back on track again. Because... <clears throat> One thing we need to realize is that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And one of the reasons probably is that the reason why is because that David had a repentant heart. He made mistakes. The Bible is there for us, amen, to look into. We've all made mistakes, amen. We've all done the wrong things, made the wrong choices in certain situations. And we need to realize that when we repent, God forgives us. That's the great thing about living for God. Amen. It doesn't give you the license to sin, but when we stumble, amen, God is there to help us and to pick us back up. Amen. Not everything that happens in your life is because the result of God punishing us or because we're going through a top trial for a choice. We've already covered three other reasons why. Because simply the Bible says that even in just this world, you're going to have tribulations. That's life. Amen. God wants us to always be on the mind that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Hallelujah. If everything was just perfect all the way through, we'd get so attached to this life, we'd forget all about God. But he sends these constant reminders to us that, hey, you need me. This world is not your home. Amen. I've got a work for you to do. But we are going to pay the consequences for sin. Not, like I said, not everything that we do is a penalty or happens to us is a, is a punishment from God. But it's like if you murder somebody, you're going to go to jail, right? That's the consequences of it. You may murder somebody and realize what you've done, run to this altar and Pray and cry all night long and repent to God all night long. And he'll forgive you. But when you go home, the police are still going to come to your house and arrest you for murder. And you'll pay the consequences for that murder. Amen. But God has a plan. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for God's plan? Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 49. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47, this is Jesus telling his disciples. He's already been crucified, risen from the dead, and he's meeting with his disciples after his resurrection. And he's telling them this, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Verse 47, that repentance and the remission of sin should be preached in his name. What's his name? Jesus. Among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. 
And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. This was God's plan, the repentance that he planned for us, the repentance that David had in his life. Even though he made a terrible mistake, he repented. The trials that we go through and the situations that come into our life, the result of our bad situations and our bad choices that we've made, can be made right with God through a repentant heart. Acts 2 and verse 38, then Peter said unto them, what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The definition of repentance means to think differently. I heard that, you know, like when we, in the military here, they say the about face, and we turn around, and they, the military, the about face, that means they're doing a complete turnaround, right? I heard that the Canadian Army, they always say, repent. Has anybody ever heard that before? Repent. That means the same thing. About face. It means you're going this direction. Now you're turning around and going in a new direction. To think differently. God wants us to think differently. To reconsider a reversal of our thought. It's a reformation of our thoughts. It's the regret for doing wrong or causing pain. To severely prick. That's what the Bible said about the children of Israel. They, when Peter preached to them, they were what? Pricked in their heart. They were convicted. The sting. It means to exercise the mind or to comprehend. Amen. So we need to realize that there's a lot of power in repentance. And we need to come to God with a repentant heart. It's not just something we do one time, but it's something that we have to constantly come back to Him. And I want to read something to you in Luke chapter number 3, verse 3 through 4. It says, and He, speaking of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist preached what? He preached repentance. Hallelujah. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. The very first thing was this repentance. He came into the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of words of, of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. There was a governor in the land, I think it was, a Tetrarch or whatever, his name was Herod. And Herod had taken his brother's wife from him and married her. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 19, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him, he was repro reproved by John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils that Herod had done, added this yet above all, that he shut up John in prison. So here Herod was, he had done this wrong, and John the Baptist comes and he preaches against it, right? He's preaching 
that Herod did the wrong thing. And Herod did not want to hear it. So Herod shut up John in prison. And we can easily, if we are not careful, hear the word of God. If we don't receive it, we can shut up that repentance in a prison. We can justify our actions however we want to do it. We can um, make ourselves believe that everything's okay. But if you don't want to hear the word of God, amen, you can, if you're not careful, you can shut up the word of God where it's not heard. And that's why you need a pastor in your life. Amen? That's why you need a pastor in your life. The man of God. Hallelujah. That he preaches to us. And he shows us the way that we need to go. Amen? And he tries to put us on the right paths. And so many times we just want to come in and hear the word of God. We want to feel good. Amen? We want to be encouraged. But when it preaching gets a little under our skin, amen, well, we don't want to hear that. And if you're not careful, you can lock up the voice of God in prison, what God is saying. And what we ought to be saying to our pastors, pastor, preach it to us, amen. Whatever I need to be saved, let me know, amen. I want him to know that he can come to me anytime and correct me. I'm not going to get mad or offended. I want that in my life, amen. I want to be saved. Hallelujah. And that's when we don't allow ourselves to shut up the voice of God in a prison. Amen. To try to scare, amen, the voice of God into a prison. The Pharisees tried to do that with Jesus in Luke 13, 31. It says, the same day there came the Pharisees saying unto him, unto Jesus, get thee out. And depart, for Herod will kill thee. That's what he told Jesus. He said, you know, you need to get out of here because Herod's going to kill you. And Jesus said unto them, I love this, you go tell that old fox. I put the old in there. You go tell that fox. (laughs) Behold, I'm going to cast out devils. And I'm going to do my cures today. And I'm going to do them tomorrow. And the next day I will be perfected. In other words, it doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter how you evaluate it. It doesn't matter if you don't want to hear it. The Word of God is real. Hallelujah. And the Word of God is going to live on. You can try to put it out of your life. They try to put it out of our schools. They try to get it out of our government. Amen. But the Word of God is still going to prevail. Hallelujah. You can't scare God, hallelujah, out of his word, amen? There's power in the word of God. And so, when Herod saw Jesus, he was going to see Jesus. This was when they had arrested him and they were going to crucify him or they wanted to crucify him. They were passing back between Pilate and Herod. Herod saw Jesus and he was exceeding glad. He saw Jesus. He was, he was glad about it. He, for he had desired to see him for a long season because that he had heard many things of him and he'd hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Amen. Verse 9. He said, Then Herod, he, then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus, but he answered him 
nothing. When Herod shut up repentance into a prison, the word of the Lord had nothing to say to him. And I'm saying this this morning to, for us to realize that sometimes we come into the house of God and we want to see a miracle and we want to feel good and we want to see what God has to say. But God wants to get around all that back to where's your life at? What do you need to get on the altar? Where's the repentance that you need in your life? Oh, we want to shout and sing, and we love the worship, right? We come in here and worship. We feel the power of God moving in this place, and God's a healer. Make no mistake, God is a healer. He'll do it because He loves us, but His main purpose is for to reach around behind all of that and say, what is it that you need to do in your life to get your life right? Herod had shut up the voice of the Word of God in prison repentance. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. You can't get away from repentance, church. Amen? And I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but let us never forget that it's the most powerful tool that we have in the Word of God to come to God and say, oh God, cleanse me, Lord. Show me what I need to see. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Amen. God knows. Don't ever allow yourself to think that you're getting by with it and you're doing okay. And perhaps you're thinking, maybe I'm doing just as good as the one next to me. Amen. God doesn't grade on a curve. Any of you remember when the teacher used to grade on the curve? I always hoped for that. <laughs> that an the A would start at the highest person's score. Amen. I always hope for that one. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't grade on the curve. His word is forever settled in heaven. It doesn't deviate. There's no variableness. There's no turning in God. If it's sin, it's sin. Amen. Hallelujah. He's not going to say, well, you did a little bit better than so-and-so, so come on in. No, you're not going to be judged amongst yourselves. We're going to be judged according to the word of God that day. Amen. And I want to know what thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen. Preach it to me. Amen. I close with this. Everybody knows this scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 through 15. If my people, which are called by my name. That'd be us, isn't it? Wouldn't that be us? Are we the name, people of the name? We get accused of that on Jesus only. Amen. We're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. Hallelujah. We are people of my name. If you will humble yourselves, the humility of this old flesh, and come before him and repent and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the mercies of God, the grace of God? Amen. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attended unto the prayer that is made in this place. When we turn to God, he becomes attentive unto our prayers. Amen. And that's when we can see the power of God moving in our lives. Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? God bless you. You've been a great audience this morning.
Let's all stand this morning and we'll dismiss in prayer as our musicians come to lead us in morning worship. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, mighty God, for your goodness and for your mercies. We love you. We believe in you. Help us to be aware of the attacks of the enemy that's in our lives. Help us, Lord, to understand, hallelujah, that he desires to destroy each and every soul. Let us, oh God, to realize our errors and our walk with you and have a spirit of repentance in our hearts and in our minds. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Hallelujah. Let all the church say amen.